You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I want you to remain standing. Take your Bibles. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and children are beginning to make their way, and uh, they'll uh, have a good time with uh, Bethany and with those that will be leading them. So we we thank the Lord for thank the Lord for that ministry. I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I've titled the message today "Death Death Sting." Death. Sting, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I'm trying to find it myself, beginning at verse 1. And I've titled this message today, Death Stings, because, um, I don't know how many of you know it, but a worker bee has only, a worker bee, a honeybee has only one, one sting. And what happens when it stings you, because our skin is so thick, that that stinger will get caught in our skin and when the bee pulls away, leaves the stinger there and thereby the bee will die. So a worker bee has only one sting. And we'll find that Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he at some point will make this great declaration where he talks about death has lost its sting. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that he appeared to Peter then to the twelve after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Rather than it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We give you glory. And Lord, we pray right now that you wrap your arms around us and encourage us and strengthen us. And Lord, we just will give you every bit of the praise. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. 
for a long time, for several weeks, we were looking at 1 Corinthians, and then we kind of stepped away from it. I did a series called uh, The Perfect Storm, where we were looking at some of the issues that we face in America. I have to tell you that that took a toll on me, so I'm, I'm glad to get back to just exegetical preaching and picking up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're moving toward Easter. Now let me go ahead and give you a little insight. I'll be talking today about the death of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, some of the doctrine around the death of Christ. Ledge is, a, is going to be preaching next week. As you know, Ledge is a lawyer. And so Ledge is going to be looking from a lawyer's perspective at some of the evidence and some of the reasons that we believe in the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ. Now let me read something. John MacArthur said this, first of all, about the resurrection. He said, the resurrection is the central doctrine to Christianity. He said, Paul gives the most extensive treatment of the resurrection in all the scripture. The resurrection, MacArthur said, is the pivot on which all of Christianity, now listen to that, on which all of Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would matter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most pivotal thing, look this way, the most pivotal thing in the Bible, in the Word of God. Nothing, no doctrine, no belief is more important than the resurrection. Now listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates Christianity from all the other religions of the world. Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Anyism. So you need to understand that. So as we're coming to Easter, it is a pivotal celebration of the most central doctrine in all the Bible. Now, take your Bibles from uh, 1 Corinthians, take a left, go back, to, go back to Romans. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, watch what Paul said. It is pivotal, not only to Christianity, it's pivotal to your salvation and my salvation. Watch what Paul said here. In Romans 10 verse 9, are you there? Say amen. Paul said this, if I can find it, my eyes are bad, that if you confess, now the word confess, homo legeo, homo the same, legeo to say. If you and I, listen, if you're not saved, listen closely. For uh, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that what? That God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. Now let me read it again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. Salvation pivots on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why it is a central doctrine and, and, and it's so important. You know, people today are attacking the historicity of Christ. Uh, that's illogical. Um, that is foolish. That's void of scholarly research. One thing even critics of Christianity will say, Jesus was a true, real-to-life historical figure. Never forget that. I've divided it, the sermon today into two points. Two points. 
the first of all, and this will make you uncomfortable, the death of God. You know, ministry is uh, one, let me tell you one of the difficulties of ministry. When I was in my first church, I, the, and you, some of you may have heard me tell this story, but I was in my first church Saturday morning. I got a call from the postmaster general, and she was very, very upset, very distraught in this small community, and she said, you need to get here quickly. When I got there, she met me at the door. I walked in. There was a 26-year-old church member, mother of one of our, uh, mother of a 10-year, nine-year-old, beautiful little girl, beautiful woman. She was collapsed behind the counter in that post office. She had been shot execution style in the back of the head while kneeling. She had fallen over dead. I'd been in paramedic had been in, in the ambulance I knew when I saw blood and cerebral fluid that she was gone the postmaster general looked at me and said you've got to go tell her husband I will never forget going to that home knocking on that door Saturday morning and looking at this dear precious man who had given his life to Christ and I said brother I am so sorry but I've got something to tell you and I called her name and I said she's gone he said, what do you mean she's gone? I said, she's been murdered. She's dead. And about that time, the nine-year-old stood there and they both began to weep uncontrollably. At a certain point, I'll never forget, this man asked me, he said, did she suffer? I said, no. I said, she was instantly in the presence of the Lord. Everybody listen. She was the most beautiful person I've ever seen in a coffin in my life. She's beautiful. And a lot of times in ministry, people will ask this question. I'm in a counseling situation right now where I had to ask a man who had murdered a woman. I had to ask this question, did she say anything after you shot her? And he said, no, she was instantly gone. And that was the comfort that I could give to a family. You know... When we lose somebody, we want to know how they died. You know, the Bible says this, when you and I come to death, you know what the Bible says? David said this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Do you know what God said? God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. When we lose somebody we love, you know, a lot of times now with COVID, people uh, lose somebody in the hospital and then they say, uh, they'll, say, they'll say, I wish I'd been there. Eric, Sarah, I think about your aunt, Eric, when she died and, and your uncle who said, I, I didn't get back in time. I, I wanted to be there. And I looked at him and said, there was somebody far more important than you there and it was Jesus Christ. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's always there. But people will always ask that question. Take from, from Romans chapter 10, look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, watch what Paul said here. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that, listen to this, while we were still what? Sinners. Christ what? 
Christ died for us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Take a right from 1 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. Watch what Paul said here. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, he said these words. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, the Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So when Jesus Christ died, in some ways this is the death, the death of God. It's hard theologically for you and I to understand. The Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified. Crucifixion. You know, I watch. I, I see Marge sometimes. And Marge will go with, it started out, it was Caroline, then it was Brennan, then it was another. And, and sometimes I'll see Marge with a train of children. And she's now, other kids will join up and they'll, they'll all go to that cross. And they'll all kneel around that cross. And for many of you, there are times when you just have to go to the foot of, of the cross. And you have to pray. But what does that cross mean? King Darius I crucified 3,000 Babylonians in 518 B.C. Alexander the Great crucified 2,000 when he conquered the city of Tyre. In 71 B.C., the former gladiator Spartacus and 120,000 prisoners fell in a battle to the Romans, which resulted in the Romans crucifying 6,000 men along the shoulder of the road for 120 miles. The Romans had perfected the art of crucifying, crucifixion. They used the T. The idea of the T, the vertical post, was the stipe. The horizontal cross bar was the patibulum. It was the, that bar that often the, the prisoner, Jesus, would be strapped to and they would actually carry that part to a vertical post that was permanently affixed, part of, part of the uh, horizon, the environment. Jesus understood crucifixion. In 4 AD, at the death of Herod, Herod the Great, 2,000 Jews were killed and they were crucified. The pain was so intense at crucifixion that we get our word uh, to, uh, 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 excruciating. That's where that word comes from, to be crucified. So Jesus was crucified. That cross is a picture of his death. Do you see that little stump down there on the bottom of that cross? Do you know why it's there? Because what a crucified man would do is he's suffocating. In other words, his lungs are filling up with fluid. 
And what a man would do on a cross is he would lift him, he would lift himself up to try to breathe. But at a certain point, he didn't want to breathe. And so what a man would do when he was being crucified is that he would exhale all of the air out of his lungs and therefore he would slump forward and he would die. The Romans put that there to keep him from doing it. So he couldn't do that. So he couldn't end his life too quickly. Crucifixion, we dressed it up. There was no loincloth. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, was stripped naked and beaten almost beyond recognition. It wasn't a high cross. It wasn't as if people were looking up at a mound way up above them. Often they would crucify at eye level. In other words, the person that was dying was at eye level. And the reason they did it at eye level, so that Jesus Christ stripped naked and beaten almost beyond recognition, would be eye level so that people could go by and they could curse him and spit on him and throw stuff at him. We've dressed up the cross just like we've dressed up the manger to make it look more civilized. It wasn't civilized at all. Ladies, listen to this. The Romans would crucify a woman. It was so horrible a death that they would crucify a woman. They would face her to the cross so that people could not look at her. Crucifixion. Josephus, the Roman historian, wrote it was the most wretched of diseases. Cicero, the Roman philosopher, asked the Romans not even to mention the cross because it was too disgraceful a subject for the ears of decent people. Nero, the Roman emperor who burned Rome and killed Paul, crucified, G, uh, crucified Peter. And historians tell us that when they were getting ready to crucify Peter, nail him to the cross, that Peter said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. And he asked it to be crucified upside down. One of the great marks of the early church is the blood of the martyrs. As I told David Lott yesterday when we were talking, a man or a woman may die for a lie, but you will not die for what you know to be a lie. And every single of the disciples, every one of them died based on this, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw him alive. Tertullian said this, the early church father about 155-230 AD wrote of the cross, this was the early practice of the believer, the early New Testament believers. They would, have you ever seen a Catholic make this sign? That was in the early church, they would make the sign of the cross over their bodies. They would adorn their necks and their homes with the cross because they understood you can't have a resurrection until you have a death. I wrote this down, Jesus' death, his crucifixion, listen to this, came after a sleepless night of interrogation. 
Abuse by political processes. The religious leaders made a mockery of him. The Romans beat him almost beyond recognition. The Roman lictor, the one who had that responsibility, was trained to beat a man to the degree that he almost could not survive. Jesus, Philip, he didn't have DeWalt. He didn't have rigid, he didn't have some of the power tools that Philip's so familiar with. Jesus had made his living for 30 years of his life. He's a carpenter, his hands were that of callous. He was a conditioned, he was a fit, physical individual. We were laughing a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about uh, a man and, and, and what a man will do to protect the people that he loves. And I said, it makes no difference to his size. I said, we've got two children in our, in our church, Brooks and Lily. I said, you lay a hand on Lily. And they all laughed and said, you could deal with Philip. Something about men who work with their hands, contractors, strong men. Jesus was a strong physical figure. He was a man's man. And yet he willingly went to the cross. But a Roman lictor would take what they called the cat of nine tails. It was a whip with seven strips. And in those strips, in that leather, were bones and metal and things that would rip the rib cage. A Roman lictor would wrap the cat of nine tails around the rib cage of the one they were beating and then pull it back real quickly and peel the skin back. Philip Jesus was an unbelievably fit individual because he was able to survive that because he did every day for 30 years what you do. He worked with his hands. He was a builder, a carpenter. His seven sayings that come from the, from the cross are the greatest deathbed conversation that has ever been recorded. But two sayings stand out. One, it is finished. Two, Father, unto your, into your hands I commit my spirit. These are the doctrine of the atonement. This is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, no man takes my life. I give it up freely. If you remember, death couldn't take Christ. You remember that? He said, it is finished. That's redemption. That's atonement. That's your salvation. My salvation. All of it was finished. It is finished. And then he said, now, Father, I submit. I commit my spirit. And the Bible says, in the King James, it said he gave up the ghost. Do you know what that means? That means that he could not die like you and I die. He had to give up his spirit in order for death to take it. Wow. Psalm 34, 20 says this, he protects all his bones, not one of them will, bro not one of them will be broken. The, the Bible said in the Old Testament how he would die, the way he would die, before crucifixion was even, a, uh, even something that was understood. Psalm 22. But in Psalm 34 it says this, not a bone will be broken. Often what would happen when they were crucified, if they tried to push themselves up to breathe, 
And if they were at a point they wanted to hasten death, what they would do is they would take a massive club and a Roman soldier would walk over and he would hit. You ever hit yourself in the shin? He would hit them in the shin right there in that spot and would break the legs so that the individual could no longer lift themselves up and breathe. They would suffocate. They would die. Do you remember when the Roman soldier went to do that? He did it to the two thieves when he came to Jesus. Jesus was already dead. To ensure that he was dead. Do you remember what he did? He took the spear, thrust it into his side, and pierced the periocardium, which is the sac that holds your heart. When I got sick in Zimbabwe, when I got sick in Kenya, and they flew me to a cardiologist in South Africa, he said the virus has infected the pericardium. It's the fluid around your heart. That's why you're sick. The Bible says when they pierced the pericardium at that moment, blood and fluid, water came out. And that's exactly what would happen. People who had no CAT scans, no x-rays, no understanding, understood this and wrote down and recorded for you and I. And let me tell you, some of the leading medical professional people of every walk, including cardiologists who have read this account, said that is exactly what it would look like. It's not folklore, people. No figure in all of history has affected history more than the life of Jesus Christ, and yet he died. You know, there's central doctrines that come out of the crucifixion. If you look at 1 Corinthians, look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Paul said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that what? What is it? Christ died for what? For our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. I wrote this down. A cross without an empty tomb is just one more world with religion with a good moral teacher. In other words, if you, if you have Christianity without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we're just one more world religion that's, that's uh, got a good book. Right? Robert Culver, in his book, Systematic Theology, made this quote. And he was quoting Ladd's theology of the New Testament. Listen to this. He said they, meaning the disciples, meaning Mary, meaning those earlier, those early um, discoverers of the resurrected Jesus, they believed that their teacher and master who was dead and was buried was alive again. They were confident that they saw him once again. They heard his voice. They listened to his further teachings. They recognized his features. They believed his presence was not a spiritual, non-material, ghostly thing, but an objective bodily resurrection reality. This was a faith that, listen, created the church. That which brought the church into being, gave it a message, was not the hope of persistence, of life beyond the grave, a confidence in God's supremacy over death, a conviction of immortality of the human spirit. Listen to this. It was a belief in the resurrection being a real event in time and space. Wow. 
the great doctrine, Jesus died for our sins. Do you remember what God told Adam and Eve in the garden? He gave them everything they could possibly want. Then he looked at him and he said, now Adam and Eve, he said, you see this tree right here? This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve, whatever you do, don't partake of that tree. For in the day you take of that tree, in the Hebrew, you will die, die. And Satan comes along like he always does and he tempts Eve and Eve falls victim to that temptation. She turns, gives, gives it to Adam. Adam and Eve immediately recognize they're naked. They recognize they're, they're dead spiritually they're dead physically they're now dying death is now crept into the creation and immediately they can feel something different something is wrong and they look at one another and they hide and if you remember what does God have to do God what does God have to do in order to cover their problem he has to kill he has to shed blood that's atonement Atonement means to cover. Jesus' death was substitutionary. In the the theological terms, it was vicarious. Meaning this, that Jesus, listen to this, Jesus died in your place and he died in my place. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, listen, you'll either die You'll either reject Christ, die two deaths, or you're a believer here today and you've had two births and you're going to have one death. Right? If you never get saved, if you reject Christ, you're going to die a physical death and then you're going to die for eternity, a soul, a soul death in hell. You remember what Jesus said? He said, don't fear the one who kills both body and soul. I mean, don't fear the one, fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one that can kill both body and soul. Where? in hell Jesus died in our place mom if you dad if you ever want to if you ever want to teach this to your kids next time one of them disobeys especially a small child and you say listen I'm gonna I'm gonna have to spank you and man they put on the waterworks or whatever they do they run, run to their room let dad go in there or let mom, whichever one, is not doing the addressing of the offense. Let one, let, well, let, let do it this way. Let's let, do it this way. Let's say, uh, well, I'll pick on Eric and Sarah. Let's say that Brennan's in trouble. Sarah, you've warned her. She, she's, she's disobeyed you. And so you've told her she's going to get a spanking. And you're trying to teach her grace and mercy. God's unconditional love. So Sarah says, go to your room and wait on me. Brennan's in there crying, getting ready, putting on four pairs of underwear, getting ready, for, you know, whatever. And all of a sudden, you and Eric come in and you sit down and, and, and Sarah, you look at Brennan and you say, Brennan, your dad has agreed to take your punishment. Now, Brennan's going to look. what? And Eric, what you're going to do, you're going to put on those four pairs of underwear. And, and, and Sarah, with all, the, with, with all the strength that you can of keeping your composure, you're going to spank Eric. And then you're going to look at Brennan and you're going to say, Brennan, your dad paid your penalty. 
you did the wrong. Your dad was innocent, but he was the substitute. Vicarious means that he took your penalty so you didn't have to. That's that. That's the cross. You remember the Passover? You remember what Moses told the people, the Jewish people? He said, now listen, the death angel is going to come through and the firstborn of every home, every family, the firstborn is going to die. And he said, what I want you to do, I want you to go and I want you to go into your flocks and I want you to find a lamb without blemish. And I want you to take that lamb, I want you to cut that lamb's throat. I want you to take the blood into that basin and I want you to take that blood and if that were the door of a Hebrew home, I want you to take that blood and I want you to dip that hyssop, that, 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 uh, that herb, that plant and I want you to take it and put it around the doorpost of that home. And that home will be covered by the blood of the lamb. And when the death angel comes through, the death angel will what? Pass over. The people inside that home were the ones that were guilty. They're sinners. The lamb's innocent. The lamb takes the penalty. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus coming to be baptized? Behold the lamb of God that Washes away, takes away the sins of the world. That's atonement. Now, I know I've got to close in a moment, but I want you to listen. I'm not ready yet. Jeffrey, don't come out wherever you are. On the day of atonement, the priest had two goats before the nation of Israel. On the Passover, at the Passover. One goat he would slaughter, he would kill. It was a violent death. He would kill the goat. He would take the blood and then the priest, now I want you to listen, the priest would go in to the temple and he would actually be going into the Holy of Holies. Everybody with me say amen. Now listen, there was incense. In other words, there was smoke because the, because the belief was that the priest could not be seen they tied a rope around his ankle. He had those, what well, we talked about Wednesday night, he had those pomegranates, those, like bells around the base, around the base of, his, uh, of his robe. So he has a rope, he has his blood, he's going into the incense, smoke-filled, holy of holies, and the reason he has a rope, if he dies, nobody can go in and get him. They have to drag him out. So if they don't hear the movement of those bells, those pomegranates, that, that, if they don't hear him rattling and moving, and they think he's dropped dead, then what they'll do, they take a rope and the men pull him out. And he goes in, he comes to the Ark of the Covenant, and there the mercy seat, the covering over the Ark of the Covenant, and he takes the blood of that goat, and he spills it out over the mercy seat. And in the, in the Ark of the Covenant is the law. The law of God. And this is what they believed. And this is why they did this. That when God looked down, he didn't see the law. He didn't see the sin of man. He saw the blood. Because the blood covered the law. The innocent goat gave that life to cover the sin. That's what Jesus does for you and I. 
when Jesus went to the cross and he shed his blood, when you and I are saved and the blood of Jesus Christ is pled over us, we are saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Listen, when God looks at you and I, when we sin, when we fail, when we fail to live up to the law, when God looks down, he doesn't see sinful Jeff. He doesn't see sinful Sheila. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that great? Atonement means this. At one meant. Atonement means to cover. God has covered your sin. Now the second goat. The second goat alive was out there before the people, the nation of Israel. The priest would put his hands on the goat and he would pray and he would confess the sins of the people. And then the, you know what they would do with the second goat? They let it go free. And that goat would be released. And that goat was called the scapegoat. And that goat, that goat would be released out into the wilderness. And that goat would carry the sins of the people away. Jesus carried the cross outside the city of Jerusalem. And he died a horrible, excruciating death for you and I. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says this. The Bible says that he could have called legions of angels. Did you know that? At any point. And we know he was struggling because the Bible says when he was in Gethsemane it said that the sweat turned to blood. Oh, for those of you that may have a problem and you think, well, I, I don't, how could that happen? It's known on death, on, on, uh, on death row. On death row, when a prisoner or criminal is getting ready to die, they often will sweat blood. You know what that means? That means the, carp, the capillaries and their skin will burst under the stress, will mix with the sweat, and a convict getting ready to put, be put to death will actually, his sweat will turn to blood. Real, just like everything else in the Bible, geographically, historically, every detail is correct. Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass, let it pass. Why did he die? Because he loves you. That's why. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you, and we praise you. We thank you, dear Lord, that in the fullness of time that, God, you stepped into a creation, you put on the flesh of man. We praise you because, as Paul said, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. We thank you that our God, robed in the flesh of man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for our sin. He took our sin, took our wrong, took the wages of our sin. As I often will say to children in trying to explain this, how Sarah might teach Brennan, Brennan is to say, Brennan, what your dad did when he took your spanking is simply what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus took our penalty he was, he was our substitute. He died a vicarious sacrifice death. He died in our place.
Why? So that we would be reconciled one with God. And the Bible says when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lord, there are those in this room And for many of us, we have family members that are on the other side. And according to what I understand the Bible to teach, they're not only safe, they're busy. And they're getting heaven ready. And they're also rooting us on, praying that we'll battle, that we'll fight, that we'll continue to live out the faith. And Lord, I pray that we'll do that. And Lord, I pray if there's one man, one woman, one boy, one girl who says, I, I'm not a Christian, I, I don't know where I would go if I died, may they right now repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. What does that mean? Repent means that I understand my sin cost Jesus the cross. My sin is what put him on the cross. And when we repent, we have a change of mind. We begin to see the damage that our sin has done. Not only to our life, but to a lost world, but most of all to Jesus. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and ask him to come into our heart, he comes in and he begins to make us from the inside out. So Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they'll pray today to receive you as their Savior, as their Lord. And Lord, every decision, whether it means to rededicate, to plant their life, be a part of this church, whatever it may be, that they may do it today, inspired and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. You come.